What are you eating? Chipwich? Oh, there you are. Yeah. Is that a real Chipwich with ice cream? Oh, dude. I think it's from Trader Joe's. Oh, don't do that mm. to me. That's brutal. Those are delicious. That's like my ice cream truck go-to, literally. I can remember my first Chipwich. I thought it was yeah? the greatest. It was one of the greatest discoveries of my life. What was your first Chipwich? I was in college and I had this horrible, horrible summer where I decided to stay in Providence instead of like going home for, to get a, a job. And I had like a, a string of horrible jobs. I remember stopping. For, what was the highlight? What was the worst one of this string? I collected cable boxes from people who didn't pay their bill. Oh, no. Only lasted about two weeks. Yeah, that can get rough. Okay. You want to talk about a life lesson, though? I would go to like the most fucking hillbilly rundown trailer that I was like scary to pull up in front of. And they would be so sweet and apologetic and they were just like so embarrassed. Yeah. And then I pulled I pulled up in front of this house two Mercedes, beautiful neighborhood. Fucking guy didn't even come to the door. He yelled, if you don't get the fuck off my front door, I'm going to shoot through it. I'm going to shoot. Oh, nice. So I didn't get that one. Looks like someone tied up all his credit in his yacht or something. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. Like those people who look super rich but can't pay their cable bill. Fucking life lesson. That's the American dream right there. It was a good life lesson. Well, what did you learn? Rich people are assholes. <laughs> <laughs> I had a very similar life lesson as a pizza delivery man, for sure. <laughs> oh, I bet. <laughs> there was like the sweet spot delivering pizza, which was like, really, really poor people, they're not going to tip. Right. You know, like, maybe just because they can't, not part of the nature. But I was literally asked for, like, silver, you know, like like when I would go to, like, the really poor areas. And then really rich areas, it was as if they, they'd never tipped in their life. Like, it was a great <laughs> anomaly that, like, I was, like, asking for anything. If I said anything, God forbid, Jesus Christ. And then just, like, normal working class people, middle class people who actually, like, work for money are great tippers All right that's it they because they just know they know that this tip i'm giving you is actually affecting your life and it's actually affecting everything around you how much i give you right now you know wow oh college kids are fucking terrible too by the way but i did a couple times i got i got stoned instead of a tip like i would pull that thing in those days you know you'd open up i know I'm, i'm delivering like 36 wings to a fucking frat house or something like i know i'm not getting a tip but i opened the door and if i smelt it i would do the like sly not so sly like oh it smells good in there you know or like one of those things just hoping for like the invite in so i've had a, i've had a couple sessions in my like late teens early 20s with total fucking randos like walking into a house and all of a sudden you're just Smoking with five bros, noshing on wings, you know? Well, and then there's all the times that you that there's a, a super hot, naked woman answers the door and wants you to have sex with her, right? I mean, I've seen you that. You know what? I've seen oh that happen God. a lot. Ugh. All right, I'm going to go on wax. This <laughs> happened to me once. It did. This, this is real. This is real. So here are the issues, though, and the reason why I am really bad at stuff like this, okay? Because... My scruples will just never let me have fun. You know, it's also the reason maybe people don't hate me. But uh, so I had found out through a friend 
that there was a woman I knew who was interested in me who had potentially concocted some sort of plan like this. Okay, so <laughs> it wasn't totally out of left field. I was also dating, I don't know what dating very loosely, but dating the counter girl at Paulie's Pizza, where I was working at the time. We were loosely dating, which is enough for a guy like me to feel guilty about anything. You know what I mean? I'm never one of those, hey, we're only dating. I'm still a blah, blah, blah. Like, if I'm... If I'm making out with one girl, I I can't in good conscience just like make out with three right. other ones. Like it just doesn't. It's not good. For You're me. a good guy, so, Benny. You're a good guy. So I go on this delivery. It's one pie, just a cheese pie. It's not even a drive. It's like a half block from my old shop. So I literally walk up, open the door, and I see this girl. And I knew immediately. I was like, Oh no, it's her. I was like, This is the thing. This is from that movie. This is. <laughs> The C. Thomas Howell movie, Loverboy. <laughs> this is it. This is it. Extra anchovies. I, oh, no. And I like, dude, <laughs> she, to my credit, she wasn't smooth about it. It was more like a, so how does this happen kind of vibe. <laughs> and I'm just holding this pizza like, uh, does it happen? I don't know. And And I ended up like, I ended up squirreling my way out of it. You know what I mean? I gave her the pie. I made her pay. She gave me like a $9 tip with with like her phone number on a sticky, uh, you know, given on the money. And I split and I split and I went and hung out with with Kelsey at, at the at the counter again because I just couldn't do it. But I got to admit, though, like there's been many, many times in my life that I've thought about it and been like, you know what, man, you delivered pizzas for like six fucking years, two different pizza places. You had one Chance. <laughs> One chance to tell the story and say you did it. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I backed up. Uh, it's I had okay, to. Ben. I had to. It's okay. I had to. I had to. This is why. Uh, We've all had a few is, of those moments. <clears throat> believe I'll, it or not. I'll, I'll forever die as a nice nerd, man. You know? <laughs> what are you going to do? I just want to work hard. You know, I just want to make my boxes, get some fucking tip money, you know, like, and, and just get out of there. And just go play Madden. You know, I wasn't trying to like, I wasn't trying to do all that. You weren't trying to be a player. No, not, not good at it. And then I won't name names. The other best one was when I delivered to an old friend in Somerville, New Jersey, who I hadn't seen in a while. And whatever was going on in that house caused him to make me deliver his pizza through the window because he wouldn't let me in. Oh, hmm. yeah, I mm. see. Mm. <laughs> so anyway. But yeah, I did have the chance, Brad. I did have the chance. I delivered pizzas a long time. And uh, I think Robert De Niro and Copland said it best. You blew it! <laughs> you blew it! Yeah, I blew it. Uh, I'm sure my wife will listen to this and be like, you fucking nerd. <laughs> should have done it. should have done it. But anyway, how you doing, Brad? I'm doing well, good. Oh, wait. This what? leads to my follow-up question. Yes. Where the fuck did you grow up? You didn't try a chipwich till college. I grew up in the sticks in Central Mass, dude. But you guys didn't have you didn't have an ice cream truck? I guess no. We didn't have ice cream trucks. <laughs> oh, that's not true. We did no, we didn't really have ice cream trucks. Although I did have a buddy that I that actually a drummer that I played with in high school and like senior year he did get an ice cream truck and sold like fucking weed and like acid out of it <laughs> nice 
Smart guy. Yeah. He knew how to turn a profit. <laughs> Sold a lot more ice cream because of it. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. But yeah, I don't think, I think, I, yeah, I don't think I had a chip which till college. It was, I led a sheltered youth, dude. Yeah, sheltered it doesn't make any youth. sense. I've only had hand churned, <laughs> homemade chip witches that my mother made. We only had, we would pour the maple syrup onto the snow in the wintertime. And that was, <laughs> that was what we had. That's what we had back then, Benny. There was Say no refrigeration. Again. Say syrup again. <laughs> maple syrup? Syrup? What, what did I say? <laughs> you said, oh, my maple syrup. Oh, that's awesome. Syrup. Well, it was fun having uh, Michael Kelly on. Michael Kelly. What a great, what a great score. I was so glad he came on. Yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah. What, and I was, I was, this was one of the ones we've talked about it before. I was intimidated. <laughs> I, had, I had done some, some research on him. He seemed like, like a fine guy, like a very nice guy. But in my head, I'm just like, fuck, it's Doug Stamper, man. This guy make, makes fucking people disappear. But then you, you know? found out that he's just another fucking guitar player. Just that, another that one. You feel at ease, right? I know. Just another <laughs> one fucking noodling and ruining my ears. It's funny that I didn't. Yeah, I didn't know he was a guitar player. Well, there you go. Now I do. So, and he's got better guitars than me from what it sounds like. Yeah, so. nice collection there. It sounds like, sounds like you're going to have to... Somehow, maybe this interview did it. You got to coerce him into that, whatever, that family neighborhood band you got going uh, on. <laughs> <laughs> he's, too, he's too busy and too smart. But it was awesome for him to come on. I found it so fascinating. The, the, basically, the tie-in from, like, when someone goes from, like, normal dude to really successful actor. Because, you know, I've been behind now. Like, like musicians are ruined to me, you know? Like, like even the most, you know, the coolest one in the world. Right. Like, I've seen you a hundred times. I know exactly what you do. You know what I mean? Like, like, okay. But the actors still, I'm like, oh, like, where did you come from? You're like a unicorn. So hearing these like story, oh, like I actually just came from this place and I had a job and I play guitar and then I got this job and I'm like, oh, okay. Acting. It's work. Right. You know, yeah. you're not just these like mythical creatures. Um, it was awesome to hear about The Sopranos, Gandolfini, which I loved. Everything about, uh, you know, being a, being a career agent, a federal agent, <laughs> <laughs> and stuff like that. Hey, yeah, oh, if man, you're, you're going to get typecast, you know, like, that's probably yeah. a good one because there's plenty of fucking roles. <laughs> Tons of work, man. Yeah. But he was awesome. I mean, what a cool conversation. Good guy. I really enjoyed that talk. Um, well, maybe we yeah. should let our fans enjoy it. Probably. Do you think? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let it drop, dude. Let it drop. Wicka, wicka, wicka. Benny's going to be tapping on his recorder the whole time. He's going to be the worst sounding one. No, it's on a table today. He's going to be the worst sounding today. one on this podcast. Well, that's probably true. <laughs> he's, a, he's a drummer, just so you know. So that's, what, <laughs> that's his path. I was forced... At some point in my scholastic career, I was forced by a guy named Coach Ortelli, who was my health instructor, to sit on my hands for an entire semester during school <laughs> because of how much tapping I did. Actually, funny, Coach Ortelli was the type of guy. He wore, like, really nice sweater vests and stuff, and I, and I knew him from a, a local restaurant he owned called Espo's. 
And for some reason, he inexplicably wore zip pants every day. Even if he had a very nice top, a very nice polo, always in zip pants. So me and Coach Rotelli had a little bit of a thing because I was a former basketball player turned skateboard deviant punk rocker kind of kid. So I think he didn't like me that much. First day of health class. This is high school. I didn't have drums in my house. I lived in an apartment with my mom. So I used to take the sets for my band and practice them in class on the desk. And I think I began practicing my set. Coach Rotelli said, Horowitz, or maybe Horblowitz, which was a name some of them had for me. And he says, you're crazy if you think I'm going to listen to that all semester long. And I say, coach, you're crazy if I think I'm going to watch you walk around in zip pants all year. You did and, not say uh, that. Did you say that? Literally, literally, like, first 10 minutes of the first day of my health class, I was out for a week. <laughs> but it feels good. It even still feels good. Like, like nearly 25 years later, I'm, I'm actually feeling pretty good about it, retelling that story. It's yeah, a good burn, true. man. You know? I, that is good. Solid. So what's up, East River boys? How you guys doing? You know, I'm actually home uh, for the second time since April 18th. You're lucky. You're a lucky man. I am. I feel very, very fortunate. My brother's father-in-law had a uh, cabin up on a lake in Maine that he gave to us for three plus months. And then a friend of a friend rented us a lake house in... um, Hewitt, New Jersey, which I had never been to, a little lake called Greenwood Lake. It's beautiful. It's like an hour and 15 minutes from the city. Yeah. Beauty. Is that like up in the yeah. northeast corner there, northwest corner? Um, it sounds I don't familiar. know. I know you go over the GW and then you take like six roads to get there. Yeah, I think that's up in like Sussex County or something going little, towards the northwest. I know where it yeah. is. It's right on the New York border. It is on the, uh, right on the border because we're right at Warwick, New York. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's beautiful over there. Gorgeous, man. There's like little little town of all these lake houses that I never knew existed so close. The Garden State. And how how much Jersey bashing have you probably heard living in the city? You know. Oh my God, dude. The the, <laughs> the freaking go. We we paddle out on the lake as a family. We take these paddle boards out every day in little canoes and stuff. And four of us go out. And there's this dude Bob who's got this island, and it. it He's his house is set up. He's got like on one side is his boat docks. He's got a fishing boat and a pontoon boat, and then he built like a looks like an island paradise. He put sand Whoa. out there, and he Whoa. put like waterfalls and coconut stands. Like it's, it's, it's <laughs> fucking crazy. But he's always rocking like Jersey Rock, and it's so fucking funny. Yes. And, like, he's got long hair. He's a landscaper. He's cool as shit. I talked to him and. We've 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 struck up a few conversations over the over the summer. There had a good time. Are you planning on keeping in touch with Bob? Because this guy sounds fantastic. Well, I will definitely <laughs> when I get my lake house, which is my goal. Now it's like my three four year goal. Now is okay. the lake house there. I'm definitely gonna have Bob landscape the shit out of it because it's like <laughs> dope. <laughs> Was, did you have any intentions of buying a lake house before um, this all happened, or did you I, did this ab- wet the whistle? Absolutely none. It, the, the funny thing is that I've always wanted. My wife has always wanted another house. Like she's like, if we're staying in the city, I want it. I'm like, yeah, I do too, man. I want money to get it first, though. <laughs> so it's been a goal of ours to have another house. But she's always wanted a country house, and I've always wanted a beach house. So it's been something, you know, not that we've had to worry about because we don't have the money to buy it yet. But it is a 
you know, like I said, three to five year goal here. But now we can both agree that a lake would be a happy medium between the I two. I see. Oh, that's good because we're yeah. we're like that same situation flipped. I grew up swimming in lakes, and I like the trees, and I'm like the lake guy. And Kath can't imagine getting – she just can't imagine why anybody would get a vacation house that wasn't on the beach. Yeah. I mean, so. Well, first of all, like to afford a beach house, is it, you can get a lake house. Yeah. Yeah. You know – as low as like a re- right now because obviously they've j- jacked the prices up there yes. because everyone's fleeing New York City. Uh, but you can get something a little thing for like three, four, and you can get like a really nice thing for like seven. Yeah. Uh, whereas the beach house that's not existing. It's not even a property to get on the beach. No, yeah, yeah. You can't even get developable. You can't even get land to develop for that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. If you get a fireplace in your lake house. That's a year round, man. It ices over and the kids skate on it. And, yeah. You know. Exactly. It's, and it's only literally an hour and 20 minutes. I've never spent more than 126 in the car. Wow. Before. Okay. That's yeah. awesome. Perfect. Yeah. Now, you grew up in Georgia, right? Yeah. Yeah. Did you have any uh, experience with the outdoors and stuff like that growing up? Or oh, was it- hell yeah, man. We, I mean, where, you know, where we lived now, there's like within a mile was nothing. There was one corner store and a Hewitt's hardware store. And now there is, you know, CVS's and groceries and all the shit, you know, but when I grew up in Lawrenceville, Georgia, it was, you'd take off on your bike and, you know, in the summertime you'd leave on your bike and you'd come back when you heard the dinner bell on the back porch. Right. Um, It was nice. It was really nice. So I had plenty of country and lake life when I was younger, but then college was, in Myrtle Beach, so I got used to living at the beach, and I, re- man, I really want that. But you know, you got to make concessions when you get married and do what's right for both of you. So <laughs> that's right. Lake it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I may, I may have swayed calf this this summer. May have actually swayed. We had a pretty sweet spot up in northern Vermont where the this lake was gorgeous. Think of she, she her the whole idea of swimming in fresh water just doesn't even she doesn't get it if it doesn't have chlorine in it like well how could you go swim in it? <laughs> <laughs> but maybe maybe she's coming around. This was pretty nice this summer, so I, it's a valid point because as somebody who didn't grow up in the outdoors as much as either of you, uh, there is something about a lake where I'm like, wait, the water it just sits there. <laughs> It's like like big puddle, it's not moving. What's going on in there? Is everything okay? You know, I feel like it is a little murkier and and more terrifying than some of the other bodies of water. It's it's true, but this this one it's one of the cleaner lakes and it's 6 feet of clarity. I mean, that's that's oh, pretty wow. good, that's, good. that's pretty good depth uh um for for a lake. Uh-huh. It's not like a pond. I know? see. And the one we were at in Maine was, I mean, you could drink, we didn't, obviously, I'm, I'm exaggerating, but you really could drink that water. Like, it was pristine up wow. there. Yeah, really special. <laughs> what was Bob the Ripper listening to out in that island? You said he's a rock and roll guy. What are we talking? Are we talking Jovi, Springsteen? Jovi, Springsteen, Journey. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think what else I heard. So basically, like classic rock radio of the nineties, Americana as it gets, man. Like the dude was just straight up rock and roll. <laughs> I love this guy. 
Now, speaking of which, I, I wasn't expecting to find this learning about you, but you are a guitar player. Yeah. Are you yeah. still currently a guitar player? I've just started back again. So I played in a couple bands in the city and uh, over my year, many, many years and um, was self-taught. And, um, you know, like if you said play in F minor seven, I'd be like, what? Like, I don't, <laughs> right. you know, I don't know that, but I could play rock and roll. And um, so I did that. And then when the kids were born, which was, you know, Frankie's 11 now, my daughter. So 11 years ago, you know, I put the guitar away knowing that a baby walking around is going to smash it and <laughs> and i have a great a sick collection of guitars that my buddy in california has uh four of them right now so i don't play that much anymore but recently i took it out frankie now is playing viola and clinton's playing piano so i've started playing again and it, and it does feel good in the last like two years what's your sweetest guitar dude um probably i either my 335 or sg it's a tie what's the sg like a 70 sg nice it's just beautiful uh that red brown yeah yeah and uh and and i have a um sunburst 335 it's probably like Ooh, really late 80s early 90s that's just Mint, mint, mint condition. That's all you need. One to record and one to play live on, dude. <laughs> They're both just <laughs> awesome guitars. And I have a telly and I have, what else do I have? Oh, I have an Ibanez artist. I don't know if you know what that yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a cool guitar. It really sounds ballsy like a Les Paul. I have a Les Paul as well. Um, yeah, a good little collection. Of yeah, guitars. I've got a friend who plays those, those, um, those Ibanez Les Paul t- style guitars. He loves them. I got that one. I got on from, I bought that from the Wheelie King. Uh, the Wheelie King was this crazy. My first apartment in Manhattan was on 12th between A and B in like 94. Okay. And there was this guy and we called him the Wheelie King. Cause every time you got to talk in a Wheelie King, he would tell a story about how he was the Wheelie King in uh, Puerto Rico. <laughs> he could ride a wheelie longer than anybody. <laughs> We never once saw him ride a wheelie, but he was a wheelie king. Anyways, we told him we were starting a band, and uh, at the time, I just had an acoustic, and he's like, oh, I got a guitar for you if you want it. I, I'll, I'll sell it to you. I need some money. And I, think I, I think I bought it for like 150 bucks or something, and, uh, and, it, it, and it was just pristine. Wow. Old, old Ibanez artist. Uh, the wheelie, wheelie king came through. Huh? Wheelie king came through, man. Just this crazy fucker. <laughs> he was funny as shit. Well, dude, I didn't know. That's funny. I didn't know you played in bands. Yeah, yeah. You better Leroy stay busy Leroy. so Bradley doesn't recruit you for the band there. <laughs> you <can't be. laughs> Wait, so my Brad, time job ended. He scooped me up, dude. So wait, what kind of what is is this like a, a local dad band it's that a, you got you got worked into, Brad? What yeah. happened here? We'll talk about it some other time. No, no, no. Let's talk about it now because I think. I think Michael here needs to be recruited into this group. <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> yeah, it'd be nice to take the pressure off. There's plenty of guitar players in in, <laughs> in the school. <laughs> Come on, guys, listen. How nice would it be? Imagine this scenario: the two of you, you meet out on the river with a couple acoustics. <laughs> you know, you do a J. The kids are asleep. You start jamming out. I mean, come on, come on, guys. 
This is yeah. all you. The East oh. River Boys. All I already right. named it for you, too. <laughs> You're done. So what was this band, uh, Leroy Justice, that you played in? Is this still... I, I love the name. That's the yeah. thing that stood out to me. And it was well, somebody somebody you knew's father or something? Yeah, it was my buddy's uh, stepfather, Leroy okay. Justice. Uh, I will sum name. him up perfectly by saying that he owned video poker machines and bars up and down the Grand Strand of Myrtle Beach. Wow. And, and he drove a pickup truck with one foot on the gas and one foot on the brake. Okay. He, <laughs> he was a fucking ripper guitar player, man. Like, just wow. like real... Skinnered kind of uh, bluesy killer guitar player, um, and uh, just thought it was the coolest name for a band. Leroy, Ju- that was his real name, Leroy Justice. Did you get it cleared by Leroy first? Yeah, yeah, okay. he was flattered. Yeah, shit, yeah, I don't give a shit. You can use my name. That's cool. <laughs> That's cool. You send me a T-shirt though, and we did. <laughs> That's awesome. And how long was that group like active? Did you play around a lot? Yeah. Yeah, that was a lot of years. Like they, because when it got to the point where the band was doing okay, acting was doing better, and I finally was just like, "Man, I I can't keep going to a Thursday morning audition after a Wednesday night rehearsal like this. Mm. Not it's it, it one was suffering, and I was like, I probably have a better chance of making money at one. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I chose to just you know I moved here to be an actor, so that's what I did. We did it. We we did the band, the first band, the Homegrown Lopes, as a. We were either going to do a public access show or start a band, so we started a band. Oh, I see. Um, and uh, yeah, I just as soon as I quit, my acting career really started to to grab hold. Um, and so they continued to play quite for a few years, three yeah, or four cool. years after that, probably. So, but yeah, we. I mean, in my day, I did like. CBs on New Year's one year I did nice. Mercury Lounge and you know the, the the just playing around New York City and brownies and all that shit and um back in the day it, 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 what was the one on twelfth and first um Fred this is your world baby eleventh and first is it uh, it was on the, Nightingales oh yeah yeah Nightingales. Nightingales we played with a lot of dudes who went down the wrong road uh, <laughs> after uh, after a while. It, was just, it just ended up being like a heroin place and that oh, was shit. one thing we all were just like, we're never touching that shit. We were crazy as sh- we did everything, but we didn't do that. And, well, that uh, was like a blues venue, right? Yeah, yeah. Were you I mean, guys back like blues then, like Blues Traveler were playing there and uh, Joan Osborne, we were in with that whole crew and... Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, it was crazy. It was... Uh, it was a lot of fun, though. I we had, the the first band was a lot of fun, and the second band was more. The lead singer was more serious, um, but the first band was just fun. Like we had crazy southern songs, like Double Wide Trailer and Cadillac and Bullfrog, <laughs> and you know we we sort of played on the southern sure. thing, and it was kind of like a. It was as much fun as it was about the music, if that makes sense. They were yeah. shows, you know. Right, we yeah. dressed up all Southern and shit. <laughs> it was fucking funny. Wow. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. Do you have uh, any, any? do you know about the whereabouts? Like, what, what year um, did this happen that you were playing music and living in New York and decided that? Late '90s, late '90s with the first guy, and then that transitioned right into the next one, which went into the 2000s. Uh, oh, wow. 
yeah. And, and what, what was the type of work that, that you were getting that was pu- pulling you pulling you so far in that direction at that time? To acting? I mean, it was, you know, I was doing uh, TV and uh, guest stars and that kind of stuff. And then, hell, I even had a series, my first series. I had done one series on a no longer network called UPN. I don't know if you guys remember. Oh, that. yeah, UPN 9. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and our show was called Level Nine. We were an elite FBI team. Okay. Um, <laughs> funny enough, worked on like cyber uh, crime, but it was all action and shit. Anyways, um, that's no, early like, for cyber crime. Like, yeah, yeah, it really, it really was really. Uh, but but we were, you know, I was working. I was working as an actor, but like even you know even today as an actor, like when you, when you don't do a job, the, as soon as one job ends, you're like. All right, and see if I can pull the wool over their eyes one more time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, right. every time one's over, you're just like, "Shit, is that it?" You know. Yeah, it seems like, like acting is just like music in that way, where there's almost no middle class. Yeah, you know, you, even if you're working, it doesn't mean that you're doing that well. I, I remember one time uh, I, I moved into an apartment, and a, a handyman came over to do something. A landlord uh, sent him, and. I had to go somewhere and immediately I was struck by how handsome this guy was who came to do the work. I'm like, Oh my God. I'm like, this is a really striking man. And at the time it was my now wife, but it was then girlfriend. And I was like, should I be leaving? This guy's really like, he's dashing, you know, he's dashing. And I found out through, through a couple of minutes of conversation that he was a, a doctor on soap operas. <laughs> and and you know and I I looked into it. His name was all over it. He had all this work, and when he wasn't working, he had to uh, he had to come be a handyman, like a local handyman. And yeah, you know, I had the same realization for musicians. A lot that I thought were you know full time working musicians who had to you know come home and work. And uh, so so at what point for you did that transition happen? When you were just like, I'm an actor. This is paying for my life. And I don't have to do anything else anymore. It sort of happened at the request of my agents when when it was like I'd done that series. And when you do a series, like a full season of a series, you know, even back then, like I made a lot of money, like a couple hundred thousand dollars. And I put it all away and I invested and I went right back to work at the at the time, I mean, I, I had done a million odd jobs in New York City. But at the time I was working at a consignment shop in Chelsea that sold like high-end, resold high-end designer clothes that, mm. that people would wear them in, for one season and then they have to get next season's product. Right. They would resell it. And she was cool about letting me go to auditions, but it just got to the point where I was auditioning more than, than, than where I just couldn't work anymore. My, my agents were like, dude, we can't, you, you got to be able to make it to these appointments. Like, so I took a leap of faith and, and that was my last uh, job besides acting and i don't know what year that was but i was around i mean i was into my oh shit 30 i was 30 years old probably like okay yeah but it was you know quite honestly when i was like 20 something i probably could have not worked another job but i just always my whole life from 14 years old i started working construction cleanup you know and i've always been a person who's like if i can work i'm gonna work you know and um so, and I took pride in it, you know, no matter what yeah, the job sure. was, it was, just extra money that I could have fun with. 
Dude, um, you did it right. You play guitar in the twi- in your twenties, and then you start acting in your thirties. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sounds good to me. <laughs> Brad, I think you pushed guitar a little far, friend. Oh yeah, baby. <laughs> I was a teenager into my forties. I'm glad I never got good at get good enough at guitar where I could have played in another, you know, in another band that that actually made a little bit of money even because you know, right. who knows what my life would have ended up as, you know? Yeah. You can um, you can you can milk that for a long time, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, tell me why, Brad. <laughs> I don't know. I've read I read a book. <laughs> a plea to fifth. <laughs> so I mean it sounds like even from the start that um you for for whatever reason it's I guess the question I want to ask, you've so often been uh, a federal agent or a federal employee or in some facet of, you know, politics or government uh, in your acting. Now, do you think that's a result of getting a couple jobs early on that were in that genre? Or is there something about you in particular that lends itself to, like, that kind of character? I hope it's not me, man. That would be disturbing because I play some fucked up dudes. <laughs> um, but I, I, you know, I think if you go back, like, because I've, I, I've thought about it now because I, I get asked that question a lot and I've something I've asked myself, you know, why is it that I'm always getting not just federal agents or guys in the, you know, FBI, CIA, whatever it, it's, I mean, you have to realize also that a lot of the stories revolve around those kind of characters, right? Yeah, but also, sure. if you go, I went back and I looked and I was like, wow, man, if you look at like Dawn of the Dead, right? Mm-hmm. A movie I did a long, one of, it was my first big role in a big movie. Okay. Um, and if you look at that character and like how he was kind of the hard, the heavy, you know? You mm-hmm. can see how that tape probably got me or that film got me other jobs uh, or see. got me in the room to get those other jobs. And then ever since House of Cards, I mean, it's just been, you know, every every off season of House of Cards, I pretty much did a movie or a limited series or whatever, did something in the off, in that six month off season. And ever since House of Cards, it's been that kind of character, right? right. Um, so I think House of Cards definitely. But if you go back earlier, it was it was that. I mean, you look at something like Changeling, where I did play an officer, uh, a Los Angeles off, a police officer, but a detective. But he was a he was a good guy, you know. Right, right. But those are few and far between for me these days. It's like, but at the same time, I'm like, you know what, man, I'm an actor and I want to work. And if that's what people are gonna give me a job as or offer me these roles as, you know, then, then great. Yeah, I, sure. Well, I, I gotta, I gotta I give do. you major props for the, for the Jack Ryan thing, because I don't, I mean, I don't know, but maybe that's the reason you got the gig, but like that was probably the, the most authentic CIA dude that I've ever seen on screen. Like uh, that was so much fucking like, fun. The fucking, the kind of like the twisted, like the obvious, like flawed fucking background or whatever. Like it was like this is what real CIA guys are like. They're not like, <laughs> right. you know what I mean? <laughs> but I mean, when you look at that world though that, that Tom Clancy creates, right? I mean, he does that so well. Like he, those mm. characters, you know, are um, his books. Right. Like that, th- that world he creates is so well done. Like right. so well done. Um, and that was just that was a dream job for me because I 
was still on House of Cards. It was ending. And I got a call saying, hey, man, they're really interested. They want to have a, 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 a Zoom, or it wasn't Zoom at the time, whatever. They want to FaceTime with you, the, the showrunners. They want you to come on and do a, a one-year arc on the show. And I was like, yeah, that sounds fucking awesome because I, I wasn't ready to commit to another six-year thing. you right. know. Right. And, and in television, it's usually when you sign a deal, it's for six years. Right. And just coming off a of house of cards, not even having finished yet, and I was like, I don't know, man, I don't know. But they were like, one year, and I was like, deal. Right. <laughs> sounds great. Where did uh, that shoot? We shot that in Colombia. Okay. Um, it was, you know, took place in Venezuela, so we shot it in Colombia, yeah. um, which was a trip in and of itself. I was there for. We shot it there. They did some in Russia, some in London, some in San Diego, some in New York. A lot of the interiors were New York, right? Um, which was far out, man. Like you're doing all the exteriors. You're walking those, you know, the the the. CIA building there, you're walking and then you walk into a room and then it cuts to New York that you filmed a few months later. Like weeks or months later. Months, (laughs) months later. Like we did everything in Colombia, then we went to San Diego, then we went to New York, they went to Russia and London in between. I I wasn't in that part, but yeah, man, I was, ah, this is so much fun. How how do you get in that head? Do you you have to look at the footage from... The external footage before you walk into the interior? No. The, the cool thing about that show is that you you had to know all eight, epi- all epi- all eight episodes. Like it was the back of your hand because, oh, right. oh. because we shot it. We shot the whole thing like a movie. Right. Normally in television, like even House of Cards, we had the luxury of doing two episodes at a time. Right. And you just cross board them. So everything in Stamper's apartment will be shot over these three days for the two episodes. Mm. And then, you know, exterior of this is all shot. So with Jack Ryan, you had eight episodes all together. So you had to know that whole season, like the back of your hand, because you'd be shooting in, not kidding, in one day I shot with, I know for a fact, two different directors on three different episodes. And it could have been all three of the directors on three wow. episodes. But yeah, so you really, <laughs> you just know, you know, you know where you are in the world uh, at all times. And you're carrying around that giant binder Bible most of the time. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. I, I was really surprised to hear you just say that for, for TV, uh, it's industry standard to be signed off the bat for, for six seasons. How, how does something like that work when it seems like even actors and the people involved with the show are are tenuous whether you're even going to get to a next season and stuff do you do you oh, renegotiate well, like every time you hit another season no look they they can they, they can dismiss you at any time i but, see but you like they can, kill, <laughs> okay. they can kill you off whenever they want and not pay you for the rest right but if they want it they own you for 6 years and they yeah. own you at x amount raised per year wow now, can happen is uh, take for instance house of cars it, it was a very successful show for netflix it was there f- if you think back like that was only eight years ago that was the first original streaming show for netflix that's oh, wow. crazy. that's yeah. crazy to think now right but with the success of something like that after three years sometimes even two you can renegotiate your country and especially if you have a character that is a loved character and, you know, right. they can also say, 
screw you, we're killing you off. Like the, right. fam- the famous story in Sopranos, people that complained were killed. Oh. Um, <laughs> tried to throw their weight around. They're just like, oh, you're dead. Right, you're done. Um, yeah. But with House of Cards, like we tried to renegotiate after three and they said, no, but you can in four. And so season four, okay. we got to go outside our contract and renegotiate for higher salaries for five and six. But then they asked for a seventh. They're like, sure, but we oh, want one so extra year at this much. And we're like, all right. it up a little more. Yeah. Wow, it's, it's like it's sports a, it's free a, agency. It's crazy. It's like a fucking record deal is what it's like, <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah. It's like we gotta, you get two solids, and then after that, you renegotiate. Yep, yep. Well, we can I drop you the, whenever we want. Exactly. Yeah, I guess the corporate structure likes to make money in any business. How surprising. <laughs> um, so speaking of the Sopranos, I didn't, I didn't, I've, I mean, I've, it was so long ago. I didn't realize that you were on The Sopranos. I saw, I saw it in the Wikipedia, though. Yeah, that so that's kind of like, I mean, it must. What? what how many uh, episodes were you on? I six or seven. Oh I think. shit! It's, it's it six, it, dude. Yeah, it's, it's six. Yeah. Six. I but it, I was only so. It was. It was there when I when I. So my manager called me one day and he was like, "Hey, look, man, they want you to come in for The Sopranos. It's one episode." Uh, two scenes, it could be more. Um, but I just think, and we, we had already decided at that point, we were done doing the one-off guest stars. Like there comes okay. a certain point in your career when you're right. like, which is hard to turn down because a Law & Order, if you're top of show guest star on Law & Order, you make like 7,500 bucks. But then the very next time it airs, you make $7,500 again. And then the next time, over the course of, the run of one episode, you can make $40,000 or something. Right. So yeah. it, it was hard to come to that point in my career because I still needed the money. But there comes a point where you're like, if you want to be a regular on a show, you can't keep being a guest star on all the shows. Mm-hmm. So we made that decision. But then he was like, look, it's the Sopranos. I think you're going to want to tell your kids one day that you did that show. Yeah. And that was what, like season two, season three by the time no. you got asked? Th- this was supposed to be their last season and then they went um, one extra after right. that. So I did, I ended up doing, uh, I was, I did the one and obviously it went well and they, they, not obviously, I mean, evidently it went well because they brought <laughs> me back for more. Um, and this I is a up, safe space. You, you did well. You did well. <laughs> I ended up doing six of them and it was incredible, man. And, and, uh, and I'll never forget it. And, and Gandolfini, it was one of the kindest, coolest, most generous men that I have ever worked with. Right. Ever. Like he, at the end of the show, now keep in mind, I only did six episodes. At the end of the show, he gave us a rap gift, a, I remember, like it was yesterday, they emailed me and said, what's your address? James wants to send a rap gift. And I was like, oh my God, I'm barely on this fucking show. <laughs> and uh, you, you sent the address. And then I got this freaking uh, cobalt diver's watch. Wow. And, and on the back of it, it says RIP Sopranos. And it had the years in which it ran. And then it said JG, dash wow. JG. How cool. I know. And I was just like thinking to myself, geez, I mean, this is like a, over a $2,000 watch. And I was like, if I got one, who the fuck else? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> and then my brother in law, funny enough, I sent him a picture of it and he was like, dude, that's so badass. And he immediately went on eBay. And I guess some crew guys were selling theirs because oh, no. <laughs> they were like 
six of them with the fucking JG and everything on the back of it. Uh, that those crew guys were like, fuck, I don't want to fuck a watch. I'll take two grand. <laughs> you know? And they, they were selling them. So your, I think your theory was right. They definitely went pretty deep into the crew. Yeah, that, That's what I mean. Like, if you were seeing yeah. them on eBay, I was like, wow. So that just shows you what, I mean, just such a cool motherfucker, man. Right, yeah, that's classy. And but, if I can recall, most of your scenes in The Sopranos are pretty much one-on-one with with him in, in either the sandwich shop or in your car. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, now I do remember that role. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. Is there anything uh, specific you, you remember about, you know, the way, you know, he was, um, you know, before the camera is on and, and when it turned? Is there anything about his acting and the way he delivered that really stood out to you? Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, he was kind of like that guy in a way, you know, he was sort of, he wasn't a real, you know, I consider myself somewhat of an up person, like I'm always, you know, very, very, very full of life and wear everything on my sleeve. Or as you could tell, that man internalized a lot and mm. uh, and was probably carrying around a lot of demons, uh, mm. but didn't let it show. You know, I mean, you saw that he was dealing with something, but you didn't, you know, he wasn't, he was kind and sweet at the same time, you know, right. uh, but, but you could tell, like, things got to him. Um, Just like an intensity? Yeah, yeah, a quiet. Okay. A quiet intensity. Yeah. But at the same time, like this is a, this is a, this is a good story, and I've told it before. But I don't know if you guys have heard it, but it's pretty cool that my. So I told you I was going to do one of them, and then they were like, you know, if it goes well, whatever you, they, they want you back. Right. And I will never forget this. I was. Uh, it was at the table. It was me, my fellow uh, FBI agent, um, Michael Imperioli, and and uh, and Gandolfini. And they're talking and talking about it was a, that whole terrorism thing that they were into, and uh, and how they were going to fight terrorism. <laughs> <laughs> and and they're asking all these questions, and I don't say anything for minutes. It's all between the other guy. I'm just right. with stern, badass look or whatever. And I finally interject and I say, no, actually, we spend a little more of our time trying to interdict the financial networks that fund the terror cells worldwide. That was my line. <laughs> okay. It came time for me to speak after a minute and a half of rolling, which is a long time sure. uh, of them speaking. And it comes time for me. And I'm like, actually, we spent a little more of our time. Tr- fuck. Uh, <laughs> okay. And I was like, I'm sorry. Um, I, and I just kept fucking up uh, over uh, and over and over again. I'm like, oh, guys, I'm so sorry. And, and it happens. And I've seen it happen on House of Cards so many times since where a guest star comes on. And it's so intimidating to be yeah. on the sets as a guest star. And I just, once you go up, it's hard to recover. And mm. the script supervisor, I remember the 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 uh, director going, dude, this is The Sopranos. We have all the money in the world. We can shoot this scene all day if we want. Don't worry about it. Oh, cool. And I was like, oh, man, I'm sorry. And Gandolfini's like, dude, you're doing a great job. Don't worry wow. about it. Don't worry about it. And he was so kind. And the script supervisor finally came over a little piece of paper and she put it down on my plate in front of me. And she was like, here, in case you need it. And I put it in my lap and I never looked at it again and I got it right. So it was uh-huh. just, you know, just a mental thing right. uh, that I just got so hung up on. And uh, But he couldn't have been kinder. And just when we were done, he was like, that was awesome man like don't worry about it it's no big deal it happens to everybody here 
<laughs> I was like, all right, cool. <laughs> and I'd assume that in some situations that could easily go the other way. Like if the oh, yeah. really famous actor delivers 90 seconds they really like and it's and that, you can't use it, I, I'd assume, have you seen some ne- negative reactions in that same instance? Yeah. I, yeah. You know, I remember doing um, a guest star on CSI. Okay. <laughs> I think it was. CSI, was that the, the guy where he took off his glasses all the time? <laughs> Sounds right. What's the, what's the redheaded guy? What the hell was his name? He was on the New York cop show, and then he went over and did... Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, he, um, from NYPD Blue. Yeah. Um, Michael, Michael, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Caruso. David Caruso. Caruso. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I remember him fucking up, and, <laughs> and he was walking out on this pier and he's coming to get me. This guy, Luke, oh, Luke Dixon looks like a blah, 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 blah. And he, and he would fuck up. God damn it. Fucking shit. And he's yelling and screaming. And he's like, fucking planes. Can we not lock down a fucking set? <laughs> losing his mind. And I was like, I was just like wide eyed. Like what is going on, man? And one of the crew members was like, dude, he always does this shit when he can't remember his lines, man. He'll blame it on anybody. Just, just be quiet and just go along with it. I was like, all right. Oh, classic <laughs> Caruso. <laughs> you, see, you see the difference, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And how people handle it. That actually gives a little more credence to his NYPD Blue character, what I just heard. <laughs> <laughs> to, to a point. So I got to talk about, I'm a big House of Cards fan, so I got to talk Doug Stamper a little bit. I'm sure he's somebody yeah. that you, you talk about a lot. I mean, even when I first heard your voice, there's a part of me that gets like a little scared because <laughs> when I watch that show, guys like Frank Underwood and Doug Stamper are the scariest people to me because it's like it's not emotional. You know what I mean? Like like the idea, yeah. like if Doug Stamper kills you, he's not going to slip up and six years and tell someone or he's not you're just you're just gone you just disappeared from the earth and no one's ever gonna know so those are the people that kind of scare me the most but you know there's one scene that always particularly stuck out with me and it was when uh doug stamper was you know publicly quitting drinking and i think it was even um you know dictated to him by the underwoods that he had to and kind of concocted this sort of timed way to just take like a couple ounces of alcohol at a time to sort of oh right get right to that edge where you you know maybe feel a little loose from alcohol but you wouldn't be publicly drunk and that's something that really just stood out to me as uh not only a, a sad part of addiction but also what somebody who's so calculated would do with addiction yeah, um, and I wondered where that came from. Was that a totally scripted thing? And and it was. yeah, okay. uh, Bo Bo Willem and the creator of that show um, is sober twenty something years. Um, oh, okay, and uh, you know the two of us. I we went to an AA meeting together um, before I started, and okay. just to sort of understand that mindset a little bit. Um, I grew up around alcoholics like like most of us um but uh, and probably was one myself um i quit a year and a half ago i guess okay um, but 
no, I had health issues and I was just like, my wife had already quit and I was like, yeah, whatever, I'll, I'll quit. But I, I was every, you know, every day, a few a day. Um, but I think it, it just made sense to me, you know, in the syringe, it all made sense. Like yeah. the exact amount for him, like everything about that man was so specific, everything right. about that character. Um, so especially for it, it, it's an alcoholic's way of thinking that, okay, well, I can control this. Uh, I am stronger than it. And, uh, and thought that that was his way. Obviously it didn't work. He, then he went full throttle again. Right. Um, and it was a cool way to show that you, you know, countless alcoholics, uh, and recovered alcoholics have reached out to me over the years via social media. Um, after having portrayed that character saying, thank you, you know, uh, it was so helpful and so real. And, you know, that part of me, it felt really good, uh, to know that it could be helpful to anyone, um, in any way, shape or form, uh, deal with addiction and, and recovery. Pretty yeah. Cool. I- yeah, I think on the outside, that part could even have helped, and not the people who are in recovery themselves, but the people who are close to it. Because I think, yeah, I think someone who hasn't dealt with addiction, and it makes so much sense to me now that you say the writer had dealt with addiction, because it's such a, just a perfect way to show how a character like that would be dealing with it. But I think the people on the outside sometimes don't know to which extent that people will go to hide it. And the kinds yeah. of really sort of cold and calculated ways that when you're by yourself, you could keep it to yourself. Uh, and I think that was probably helpful to people watching people through recovery a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I um, so. Yeah, I think so. It's a really powerful thing. And it always it always stuck in my head. Maybe because in my head, I'm like, you know what, if. If I was doing it, I'd probably do it like that. It makes a lot of sense. <laughs> and then, all right, I know you have to talk about House of Cards a lot, but I only have one other question. So I'm no, such a big fan. So, you know, I, I was very invested in that show. And as I'm going to spoil it, because if you haven't seen it by now, like whatever. Um, and, <laughs> Spoiler you know, alert. S- something happened to me, and it happens in some shows. When Frank pushed Zoe Barnes into the train... Mm-hmm. And she died. And then the killing of Peter Russo in the, you know, in the garage with the gasoline and Frank kind of just puts on his hat and walks away. There was a point of that show where I was like, oh, OK, I got to like suspend my own belief a little to like really believe this. But then there is all the always this like 10 percent part of me that's like, fuck, if it's that, is this real? Is right. that real? Is this how it happens? Now, like, how how detached from reality do you think House of Cards was? Well, <laughs> prior to 16, I think it was incredibly detached from reality. Right. I think, you know, shy of murder, uh, we are living uh, a worse yeah. House of Cards today. Like, I mean, not to get political, but I mean, Jesus Christ, every norm in our entire political system has been demolished in these last yeah. three and a half years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it this is this, for someone who follows politics the way that I do. Um, I mean, I'm deeply involved politically. I lobby on the Hill for seniors with Republicans and Democrats alike. Like I meet with these people. I've I've been there on the Hill. I've done it. Done the work. It. What's happening now is so beyond norm, normal for uh, our country this is insane 
This is absolutely mm. terrifyingly insane. And, you know, doing right now, I'm doing the, the, the press for the Comey rule. And right. we look at that election, 2016 election, and everything that happened. And when people watch that, they're going to be like, Jesus Christ. I mean, this is where it all started, right? Like, in 20, just prior to the 2016 election, every norm was starting to be shattered with, with Donald Trump. And so while I believe that House of Cards was crazier, I believe that this current administration made that show somewhat irrelevant. Wow. We were the crazy show during the Obama administration. Right. Then came the Trump administration. It was like, I'm not that crazy. I mean, <laughs> wow. But it's, this is real. And for anyone who doesn't, see literal democracy being taken away from this country and, and and it is slipping away democracy is fading they are doing power grabs like dictators do they are lock stocking these courts with these right-wing justices who are going to do and say anything they want he, he now has the american taxpayer this today is paying for him being accused of sexual assault Right. right, paying for his defense. This is unheard. This would have never, ever, ever, ever happened before. But Barr is a constitutionalist who is, you know, off his fucking rocker, personal servant to the president. And it's, I'm telling you, we're a young country, and we've taken democracy for granted for a very long time. Yeah, uh, and you, we get another four years of this guy, and it's. I, I, I hate to be this political on this on a, on a fun podcast, but it's like I'm, I'm worried. I'm really, really worried that democracy could be just, you know, what's to say he's not just going to hand off the presidency to, right. uh, you know, Trump Jr. and then yeah. Ivanka and, you know, so and so on. It's this is it's uh, we're living in and, and it couldn't have happened without a complicit GOP. So. Yes. It's an entire party that got in line behind him and was just like, fuck it, this is... They know it's their last stand. This right. is it. The youth of the country is democratic. They are diverse. They are, you know, different. <laughs> right, yeah. And it's not the old white men party. But hasn't, isn't that what people have been saying for 50 years? The no. we're we're really, like the youth is gonna well like it's what like, happened this was but it's it's like I was just saying like this is a blip in American history right like this is a tiny little blip in American history and if you look at the whole thing you can say yes for fifty years it's been happening I believe it's coming to a head right now and I believe mm. the numbers are finally skewing to overwhelmingly to the left and. It's been happening for 50 years, which again, 100 years is going to be a blip on American history, right? right. Like that's that you have to look at. Everything in politics happens very slowly and right. over time. Right. Yeah. And just like the well, erosion of democracy could happen in eight years. Right. Yeah. Or, or the eight sets up the foundation for the next eight that completely wipes out democracy. You know what I mean? Like, right. but right now you have, I mean, he lost the general election by 3 million votes. It's not going to be long before the Democrats have power of all three branches and the electoral college is fucking gone. Mm. It's a ridiculous that every vote doesn't count. What, because we have more people who live here in New York, your vote should count less. Like it just, it makes, it goes back to, uh, you know, 
when they said only landowners could vote and then they opened right. it up to everybody, they had to have the electoral college because, well, if you didn't own land, you were a dummy. We got to right. make sure you don't vote dumb, right? <laughs> yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. really an antique system that we have and, and it needs to change and it will change. People are, states have the right to change the electoral college. Sorry, man, I'm getting too political. No, 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 it's no, an important no, you're not time. Like, you're not at all. <laughs> you're right on page with, with Benny and I and we, we have to hold ourselves back. But it's important, you know, that, I mean, you know, my biggest thing is I just, I mean, I hope there's people listening that, that, you know, are not just, uh, you're not just preaching to the choir because I feel like that's the thing about living in New York, you know, like. Yeah, sure it is. But, you know, I'm from Georgia, man. And I, you know, uh, I, I pray that this Comey, you know, the Comey's dropping before the election for a reason, you know, and Mm. I believe there are a lot of independence and undecided, which I don't know how you're undecided. This yeah. is black and white. This is not like Romney Biden, for God's right, sake. Right. <laughs> fucking black and white. Uh, but if you are undecided and you watch this, you'll be like, oh, wow. Holy shit. That was crazy that that happened. Yeah, <laughs> right. right. Really. Like, wait a minute. This is nuts. And you get a real look at this man. I mean, Woodward's book today, all that shit that dropped, that he's on tape. In yes. February, yes, saying he knows how bad COVID is, yes, and then denies it for another two plus months. That's yes. hundred thousand people dead on his fucking sleeve, like, and calling the generals pussies. Like this is there's got to be, there's got to be. That's military, right? Like, you know, the, when he when he said grab him by the pussy, that was one thing. Like you could you could say whatever you want to say, but. He just came, all this shit just came out about him saying that shit about our military. Right. And now he is on tape saying his generals are a bunch of fucking pussies. That's not <laughs> right. going to fly over well with the military. Yeah. yeah I mean, the one, just the his one fucking th- base. That's the problem. You know, there'll always be yeah, another but, fucking Donald Trump. But a lot of his base is military. And uh, I hope you're right. You know, you, you call generals pussies and you, you know, it just what it does is it makes the anonymous sources that said he said those other things about the military. It makes them take that a little more serious. Right, what right, 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 right. And I think you're right. And in response to you, Brad, where you said, haven't the kids been supposed to be doing this for 50 years? I had actually just watched those Laurel Canyon documentaries. I don't know if, if either of you have seen that. The oh. ones about, you know, the. Uh, you know, the, the 60s movement out in Laurel Canyon. Oh, right. You know, I haven't the, seen those yet. Fleetwood Max and, and your bands like this and the, and, them, and the birds and those bands coming up. Um, and it's a great story. But w- one thing that was really interesting to me was finding out how, and these are the hippies, like the hippie hippies who were providing the soundtrack for the whole generation, living up in the hills, doing drugs, were still really sexist. And yeah. they they made it a point in that film to point it out. And I believe it was one of the uh, either Stevie Nicks or one of the women from Mamas and the Papas talking about like, hey, these guys still grew up in the 50s and the 50s were like this. And as progressive as they were at the time, this wasn't part of it yet. And they were still horrible to women. And I do think in the same way where the negative things take time to advance uh, the positive ones do as well. And a couple generations later, the people were born without any of that. Um, I right. mean, my, my fear in what you're saying, uh, Michael, is that, you know, 
I've been waiting for this whole side to wake up and have an awakening and be like, this is the last stand. This is the line. I think I gave up on that about two years ago. (laughs) So I don't think the cult is going to change regardless. Like they're going to be told some version of this story that allows them to keep thinking what they're thinking. But the alternative is the fact of what you said, Michael, which is these these kids ain't fucking having it. And they were raised in a time where all these things that these people are trying to hold on to don't even exist in their minds. And it's absolute lunacy to them to be like, wait, what? You're racist? You're homophobic? (laughs) What the fuck are you even talking about? Like, this is, that's a thing, you know? And and they're raised with no knowledge it should even exist. So that's where, you know... uh, there's definitely a line in the sand. I'm just, I'm just, just. Politics takes a long time until, you know, and when you, you also have to remember that there are no term limits in the Senate, you know, right. and that is another problem. And hopefully like the electoral college that will be gone as well. You know, there's, there should not be um, these lifetime, you know, lifetime Senate members. Like they, what happens is they do favors and they, are owed shit mm-hmm. and that's why this vicious cycle just continues on and on the right. reason many of these guys have come out against trump is because they know their senate seats will be gone mm. they know if you betray the party your money is gone right so it's you know until you get big money out of politics until you get term limits and electoral college gone but these are all things that are happening you know and it will happen it's just going to take a while and if it, unless he gets another four years, then they're going to write a bunch of shit in stone again and, and have all the judges locked down, you know, and the Supreme Court and God knows what. Like, you get another fucking crazy right winger like Brett Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court. Yeah. And they're, he'll get, if he stays in four more years, he gets, he'll get two Supreme Court justices. If right. Not, like, that's it. That's our kids' Supreme Court. Yeah. Well, we yeah. better start burning stuff. Um, <laughs> all right, so I'm going to take a nice turn here about something that's really dear to my heart. Okay, Michael? Mm-hmm. It's the film Anchorman. <laughs> now, I, I, I so rarely get a chance to talk to somebody <laughs> in the film or, or television industry that it's a question I need answered any chance I get. So I think the film Anchorman should have easily won an Academy Award for Best Picture. I will also make the same uh, the same argument for the film Ghostbusters. Um, they are. I wish I was kidding. Um, so so they're ensemble films. They're original screenplays. They're perfectly executed. They're funny as hell, and they last the test of time. There's nothing about these that is not a best picture to me, especially considering in 1984. Terms of endearment beat out Ghostbusters. Like, if you're turning on the TV tomorrow, come on, 10 out of 10 times, you're putting Ghostbusters on, which in turn, that intrinsically makes it the better picture. So the thing I'm asking is this. Why is comedy, why is the ability to make someone laugh and it being perfectly executed so minimized by, like, the Academy and the acting elite and the things like this. Do you have an opinion on this? It's definitely, sure. I definitely have an opinion. It's definitely not the, it's the same reason that, um, action is not, you know, black Panther was like the first, uh, or maybe avatar was before that. Okay. Right. Like, you know, you don't get an action film in there, uh, 
quite nearly as much as you should. Yeah. Comedy is just the same thing. The Academy, it's all about, you know, you got to have an accent or a costume or a period or, um, or, uh, uh, something's going to make you cry. Like that's just, (laughs) it's just the Academy. That's the way it is, you know? And, it's been that way for so long, and I don't see it ever changing. Those are brilliant films that you, Anchorman especially, like <laughs> Ghostbusters. Uh, I would I would argue Terms of Endearment probably should have won that. Okay. But, okay. But, <laughs> I don't know. What, I don't know what went up against Anchorman that year, but I, I agree. There are films um, that are never even considered, you know, for for that kind of stuff. This should definitely be. Um, for me, you know, Bad News Bears, uh, you know, like there, and I don't even know what that did ever. But um, <laughs> oh, what a great film! There are classic comedies that that will forever be remembered because they make you laugh. But the Academy doesn't, you know, they're just like, yeah, whatever. That was fun and funny, but it's not an Academy film, <laughs> not an Oscar film. Right? <laughs> they just have a different criteria for what they consider the best. Well, Michael, I'm glad we went through this exercise because I quickly just Googled <laughs> which beat Anchorman in 2004 when it came out. And it was The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. Oh. See, which is, I would take Anchorman. Yeah, I yeah. I mean, but at least, <laughs> at least this year, it wasn't like, oh, this movie I love more than any other movie was beaten by something like, you know, Manchester by the Sea. Which, <laughs> which you know, like, I watched that movie and I turned it off and I like, I was like, why the fuck did I just watch that movie? <laughs> like, it was brilliant. It was touching. It was everything that movie should be. I have no fucking interest in watching it. Right. Come on. And you look at Lord of the Rings, that was an, inc- for the time, was an incredible cinematic accomplishment. Right. Yes. All in all. Like, just mind-blowing effects. Everything for that time, it was really incredible. And you could see how they would take that over... Um, over uh Anchor Anchor. Man. <laughs> yeah i'm glad i'm glad i looked this up because it's one of the few the few films that would make me feel a little but you would forgive <laughs> yeah yeah it is <laughs> this is pretty good dude we're over an hour what do you think got anything else no man i'm glad to have got to hang out with you guys that was a lot of fun man you know i'm glad you had you were in band so that we can we can Justify. Loosely tie it in. <laughs> yeah. We we get we get more than just bands on this show, but it's been a yeah. while. And you Is are there, a perfect yeah. guest. And where can we send people to listen to Leroy Justice anywhere? Like, is it online somewhere? Yeah, I think they're on. Um, hell, I think they're even on Spotify. Were the members of the group named Jason Sloan, Jim Chickenbone yeah. Ernst? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, this is easy to find. This is yeah. all over the place. Yeah, I see a piece of my heart cover above the weather on Amazon.com music. Look at that. So I got out. So 07, Revolution Sun. So I left in 06 because that, that was the first. They released their first thing in 07. Yeah. So did you not record with them? I did not. Oh. I, you know, I really regret it too because, uh, but it, it wouldn't have been cool just to be like, oh, well, let me go play on this track just to... Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, they, they, they at that point, I had their new guitar player. But that dude, Chicken Bone, who played the drums, is not, not even... He's not in that picture. So he left, and then that drummer came in. But Chicken Bone, that's one of the guys... Um, 
that started the homegrown lopes, the band prior to Leroy. Mm. And he and him and another guy, Mark Hale, jumped over and started Leroy with uh, actually, funny enough, Tom Everett Scott, who's an actor friend of mine. Oh, yeah. His brother in law is the lead singer, Leroy. And he put us together, the three of us with him. And that's how Leroy started. And then eventually I left. Then the other guitar player, Mark, left. And then Jim left. And then those guys finished finished it out there and they were a lot more serious than we were well it's been a wacky year man i think this is the perfect time to spark <laughs> leroy justice back up <laughs> get the boys back together start start playing some socially distant shows it'll be <laughs> exactly. because yeah. that's so much fun <laughs> yeah <laughs> in 2020 nothing matters we yeah. learned 2020 give chicken bone a call (laughs) i'm making this shirt (laughs) all right well mike thanks again dude this has been pretty awesome yeah thank you really appreciate it my pleasure guys thanks for having me man I can't believe he's gonna vote for terms of endearment over (laughs) kind of lost you there didn't he i mean I, I mean, I've been making that point to people, realizing I haven't seen Terms of Endearment maybe, like, ever. I think I just remember my mom talking about it. So, I mean, maybe it's great. But. <laughs> I mean, if I sound passionate about that, Brad, it's because I am. Yeah, and so should you be. Although, Ghost, Ghost, if, I mean, I agree. Ghostbusters is a brilliant film. It's a funny one to uh, refer to, though. Well, I think I always choose Ghostbusters because, like, it's similar to Anchorman in the way that it's, like, this big ensemble cast, you know, this, like, original story really well executed, you know, like, it has, like, the same markers of Anchorman. That's, I think, why I use, and I don't know, it it just, it, like, like, Seriously, like if you turn on the TV tonight with your Sierra Nevada <laughs> or your third Sierra Nevada, <laughs> whatever you do, uh, like like and and one channel, I you probably don't have cable anymore, but one channel turns endearments on one channel. Ghostbusters is on like, what are you watching? Yeah, no, it's a no brainer. No brainer. I'm fully you know? with you on this whole comedy. Why the fuck can't comedy when I think if you make a film that's a perfect film for for its genre, that that's, that's the right. film that wins. That's right. You know, I mean, whether it's a comedy or an action film, eh, they just so don't want to, you know. What's an action film then that should have won one? I don't know. He ref- he referenced that, yeah. though, didn't he? He's like, yeah, I think there were some action films that should have Yeah, won. I was quickly thinking about it, like which ones – Maybe one of the early Mission Impossibles or... Uh, oh, very early. Die Hard, Lethal Weapon. Lethal Weapon is pretty perfect. <laughs> great, great film. Great film. I'm trying to think. I, what, what, what would be an action movie that could actually like... Where you're like, wow, that was a great... You know, I guess are, are these new comic book movies are all considered action uh, What movies, about right? like the first Daniel Craig Bond film? Sure, yeah. That strong. was like a fucking amazing film. Strong. But I'm a big Bond fan. So. Are you now? Oh, Who's yeah. the Bond? Who, is Daniel Craig still the Bond? He's got one coming out this fall. All right. I thought still that they had like they had recast like it was Bond was supposed to become like this black woman, 
Oh, really? Yeah, like a, the, or I guess 007, right? You know, whatever, the agent. But I don't know what happened with that theme. Jen um, Bond? Yeah, it was James, dude. Come on. There's plenty of women still named James? James. Oh, yeah, that's true. Oops. But then somebody told me, no, it's not going to be James Bond. It's just 007 is the uh, agent becomes. That makes sense. I don't know. I'm talking at my ass right now, but, you know. I mean, I don't know it. Because I have no reference, but I'm just going to go ahead and assume Ian Fleming was a chauvinist who probably wouldn't, who probably wouldn't be happy about it. <laughs> I have no basis on that. No basis. Uh, and I don't, I, he's probably not alive, so I'm clear. I'm definitely clear. not alive. There's no way. <laughs> I'm going to get an email from like Donna Fleming, like the great granddaughter. It's like, my grandfather was a peach. I'm be like, fuck, I was kidding, Donna. <laughs> I was just kidding. I don't know your grandpa. <laughs> God damn it! Can't say anything these days. I'm glad I just you canceled myself. I'm glad you're 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 an educated guy though that you can pull up the you know Ian Fleming right just like that, dude. I read a couple of them actually when I was younger. They're like the yeah, books I, are really fun. Yeah, I read like, them when I was yeah like fourteen, probably thirteen or fourteen, and they're. I mean, at the time they seemed pretty artsy. There's one. One of them has a short story that the entire story takes place while he's waiting. He's sitting for three nights in a row, looking through a sniper rifle, waiting for this like guy to cross over from East Germany to West Germany so he can kill him. Wow. And he knows he's going to cross over this fence at this, you know, one of these three nights. That's the whole story. And it's wow. like, that's cool. And it, and it's any, and, and during it, he's just, all he does is sit there and reminisce about his youth and what he did when he was a teenager. But the basic premise, that's the premise of the story. And that's pretty, hmm. it was deep, dude, when you're 14. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of deep, you know what I was thinking about today? What? You really want to know? That everything is a drum? <laughs> no, fuck <laughs> off. Um, what are you, Coach Ortelli? <laughs> Oh my god, I hope that guy listens to this. Every word I said is true. That is 100% fucking true. And he even was a part owner of a restaurant called Espos. I know it all. That guy's not getting away from me. <laughs> That's how I knew that you were nervous, dude. You started what? talking. This You gave this whole story at the beginning of the show. I just thought it was funny. It I, was hilarious. I, it was I really sweet. I saw an opportunity to talk about Ortelli and sitting on my hands. I just I, had to go I loved it. it. And I thought at the time, I'm like, oh, he's trying to put Michael at ease and basically take the spotlight. <laughs> well, the last thing I want to do is someone like Michael is he gets on and be like, let me like like this isn't inside the fucking actor's studio. You know right. what I mean? Like I don't want to like right. Like I want the guy to just you want to set the tone for now. Want to set the talk. tone? Yeah, it's good. Yeah, like that I'm was not a trying perfect to get down like that. I think he liked that story. It was a good. But speaking of getting deep, okay, okay. There's a new season of Cat in the Hat knows a lot about that out, which is an animated Cat in the Hat right. series. My kids used to watch it all the time. Okay, where Martin Short, Martin Short is the cat, right? which is kind of cool. Mm -hmm. And there's a new season now, and there's an episode about gravity, teaching kids about gravity, and this, you know, not going to get into that because it's a <laughs> children's show. But all of a sudden, I'm watching my son, and I'm thinking, I'm like, wait, why of all places, and the only place is, like, matter sucked back down only, like, on this small section of Earth out of, like, the universe? Everywhere else, you'll just fucking float around. And I'm like, wait a minute. Is this jail? <laughs> and gravity is the wall. 
You know what I mean? Like, is like prison we were, guard? Yeah, like we were put here, and whoever, you know, whichever advanced, you know, species put us here, you know, they're way beyond walls. They're <laughs> thousands of years past walls. And they're like, oh, take, get, put gravity on there. They'll never get off. And they just watch us shoot these rockets that are, like, going into space. They're like, oh, look at how cute they look. They're getting... Burning kind of far, millions you know? of dollars worth of fuel just to get a few yeah. miles up well, into the sky. They're killing themselves. They're <laughs> killing their whole planet to try to get out of there and beat gravity. <laughs> like I don't know, man. It's but it's you do know as that, realistic as anything to me now. You do know that if they turn off the fence tomorrow, we're all dead. We're just gonna float. Yeah. Well, not all of us are dead because I thought of it today. <laughs> I installed some good eye hooks into the ground. <laughs> And my whole family will be tethered. Okay? So so you uh, might be fucked living in your tower in New York City, but I'm going to be tethered to the ground in New Jersey. This is your, Benny, this is your tinfoil hat. Like, the fucking, the pandemic has finally just gotten to you. This is your version of the tinfoil hat is, is the you know eye, what it is, eye Brad. hooks in the floor. Here, here's what it is, okay? <laughs> I'll tell you what it is. Why not? You know, the general convention of what people believe is actually happening on Earth seems pretty fucking ridiculous all the way around. Like, every story I hear to explain this thing doesn't make any fucking sense at all. You know, based on anything I'm seeing with my own eyes and hearing with my own ears, these stories make no fucking sense. Yes. So I'm at the point where I'm just like, I don't fucking know. Like, maybe. I'm not going to rule it out, you know? Uh, dude, start a religion, please. Why? To the god of gravity. Yeah, but then I'd have to be like the head of a religion. Oh god. But here this so this ties into no my taxes. This, I'll take no this taxes. ties into my religion. I do What's believe that? in God. I believe yes. there is a God and she is very e she you can see her. Mm -hmm. She rewards you for worshiping her. Mm-hmm. She and is the earth. Mother Earth. She's a living mm -hmm. organism. Mother Gaia. Yeah, Gaia. So she's invented gravity to keep us here so there you go yeah, but why does she want us here so bad we're not that nice entertainment pure entertainment <laughs> <laughs> she's like you know what roller coasters are cool that, you know i was gonna i was gonna cut gravity loose but then anchorman came along and i'm gonna keep him i'll let him live oh. for a few more uh a few more decades See, you talk about theories and tinfoil hats. If you told me Will Farrell was the one who saved humanity, okay. Sure. Sure. Makes sense. Makes Why sense. not, dude? You gotta believe in something. We're in the outro right now, right? I hope so. <laughs> so listen, Michael Kelly, Instagram at real Michael Kelly, Twitter is Michael Kelly Jr. or Michael Kelly Jr. Um, check him out. He knows what he's talking about, you know, like, uh, check out his socials, check out our socials, check out our Patreon, goingofftrack.com slash Patreon. Um, yeah, I promise this weekend I'll put up some more content. I keep saying that. I'm just <laughs> finally back. If you haven't yeah, realized these late episodes, we've been releasing a day, two days late, a day late. Yeah. I've been out of town. We got a lot of shit going on, but we're almost settled. Benny, you're almost settled, right? You're going to be settled? Oh, no. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. But at least on my end, I'll be settled. So <laughs> Good. We'll start releasing on Wednesday for sure. 
Yeah. And we'll get yeah, some more yeah, bonus yeah. content on Patreon. So go check we'll it out. Patreon. There's a shit ton of stuff up there. And if any and if you're an there old is. timer, we still got all the old bonus content from uh from the old days. That's Back right. in the old days. Oh, when we did this. <laughs> yeah. So now I really appreciate anybody throwing us some Venmo or getting on the Patreon. We're uh quite serious about the program and we hope we can do it for a long time. So I appreciate it. Yeah. So, Buy me a new mic so I can stop uploading from this little task cam you make me do all the time. <laughs> I just gracious. gotta give you something to do, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I don't have anything to do. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I love you all. That was awesome to have Michael on. You know, another funny, I wanted to break his balls about the fact that he's Italian-Irish with the name Michael Kelly. He's supposed to be a fucking cop in New York. Like his whole, <laughs> yeah, yeah, his whole path is not where yeah. he's supposed to go. He's supposed to be a fireman or a cop or a union rep. Every every Michael Kelly I've met in my life is one of those three things. Or or a Springsteen. Yeah, I just oh, watched I meet spring, Bob. I just watched Bob the Springsteen on, the on on Broadway last night. That's, I mean, Springsteen's dad was a Irish drunk, and a, his mom was an Italian woman. I can say it. if you're from Central Jersey, if you're from where I'm from, you're sort of like you're default like Italian Irish a little bit, even though if I'm not, it's weird. You at least know those people. That's right, right, right. You get it. Yeah. You get it. And he should be a cop. Well, I guess he plays a cop a lot, so that works. Same thing. Maybe that's where it comes from. All right, Brad. Well, uh, we'll be back. We'll be back again next week. Yeah. Hopefully a day earlier and with a great guest. All right. Everybody be good out there. 